God, give yourselves a hand. You got out of bed this morning. Come on. You got out of bed today. You deserve an award for that. My socks this morning say you got out of bed this morning and they have an award on them. Uh, someone uh, thought they'd be cute and get me some socks that say you got out of bed. I'm not going to show you my socks, though. Uh, you can, no, even if you ask me later on, I'm probably not going to lift up my leg and show you my socks. But you want to see my socks now, don't you? Um, so thank you so much for being here. Again, if, you, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to invite you to uh, fill out a, the portion on the, the worship guide that you got and just let us know your name. Uh, we want to get to know you. I want to send you a, a handwritten card that just says thank you so much for being here. And uh, many of you that are here for the, uh, you know, whatever time it is that you've been here, you filled out that card and you received a card in the mail from me. So uh, you can tell someone, hey, fill out that card. He's, he's not lying when he says he's going to send you a card. So thank you so much for being here. I want to uh, just highlight one of, our, uh, one of our announcements this morning. And that was on September 23rd, we're going to have an incredible, incredible day. Uh, September 23rd, we're celebrating water baptisms. And uh, we are inviting anyone that's never been water baptized to be baptized that that day. Um, also, we will be launching our fall semester of small groups. Small groups is the place for you to get connected. Uh, so oftentimes you can come into church and just pass people by and not really know people unless you know them from another walk of life or uh, work or something like that. And so this is an opportunity for you to get with people and learn their names, learn their stories, do life together because you weren't intended to do life alone. We believe that. And so small groups are, are just a huge part of what we do. And uh, we are in a, in a break period right now, uh, which is, the break is only for two weeks. And then uh, we're starting again on September 23rd. It is going to be a great semester of small groups. However, what makes it a great semester are leaders to lead small groups. And so we need people that will commit to leading a group. It doesn't require a whole lot. It just requires you to have an idea to get people together and find a place for you to meet. It can be in your home. It can be in public. It can be anywhere. Just find a place to meet. Find a day that you want to meet. Those are the, that's the freedom that we give you. We give you the opportunity. We call them free market small groups because we give you guys the ability to choose some things like what you want to have as the leader, um, what you want to what you want to lead it on, where you want it to be, what time you want to meet, um, and so small groups are are so so important. Uh, so we need people to lead. So if you're interested in leading a small group, just email us at hello at refugemain.church um, and and let us know. Also, there is a small group leader training. So the only requirement for you to lead a small group is to attend the small group leader training. And we're offering that September 19th at the church office, which happens to also be at my house. So um, it's just the way we roll around here. So uh, it's, it, it, we'll give you directions. There's a, there's a building outside of my house, so it's not inside of my house. It's an office that's outside. It's, it's just... It's, it's a blessing to be able to have, and um, we can't wait for that small group leader training. So today we are in a series called Baggage. This is week three. Say week three. 
good. I didn't put you to sleep with those boring announcements. So we're in week three of our baggage series. Uh, The first week we talked about how we all live this journey called life. And along the way we end up picking up baggage that we carry. But God's intention for us is to live a free life without baggage. A baggage-free life. And that's what he wants for us. But sometimes it's hard to let go of that baggage. And so then the next week we talked about one particular uh, form of baggage that we all carry, and that's the baggage of guilt. And we talked about how the, there is a difference between, between baggage and consequence. Consequence, we have no control over. Those are the, that's the, the result of what we've done. But the baggage, we have control over because we choose to carry it throughout our life or not. And so uh, we talked about the baggage of guilt. This week, this week, we're talking about one that I see so many of you came back for uh, because I told you we were going to be talking about it today, and that is relational baggage. Relational baggage. It's, uh, it's going to be good. So we're going to talk about the, the subject of relational baggage. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, may we never forget that uh, we do this for you. Lord, I pray that everyone that's in this room would see that we do it for you and you alone because you are worthy. Lord, I love the line in the song that we just sang that the wind goes where you tell it to go, so I will go where you tell me to go. Father, I pray that that would be our anthem this morning, that we would go where you tell us, that we would do what you tell us to do, and that we would always, always, always surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we give you our relationships today. With other people, we ask you to, um, to speak to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How many of you have ever been injured? Have you any, any injuries? We've all been injured, right? We know that injuries take time to heal. Any broken bones with those injuries? I, I, uh, I've broken a bone. Uh, it was my ankle, and I happened to break it in five places and dislocated at the same time. I was riding a jet ski on Table Rock Lake in Branson, Missouri when I was in college and I shattered my ankle. My mom, uh, they lived in Southern Illinois. They drove down uh, to see me in the hospital. And my mom looked at me and said, son, when you do it, you do it well, don't you? Like, like you, you really know how to break a bone. Like you've never broken any bones in your life, but now you just shattered your ankle. So um, I was in the hospital for five days. That was brutal. I actually had a message from a friend of mine in Alabama right before church that his daughter broke her arm last night. So like, like broken bones happen, but broken bones heal. How many of you have, uh, have ever um, had a sports injury, like broken or like torn ACL? Or my wife was in, an orthopedic nurse for, uh, for quite a while, and she did a lot of a lot of sports injury. Any knife wounds in the audience? Anyone cut yourself with a knife? We've got one, two. Stay away from those people. Uh, knife wounds are any gunshot wounds? Gunshot wounds? That's uh, that's scary. Um, some gunshot wounds. Uh, any any um, like? But serious. A real wound for a second. Any military wounds? Yeah. Give him a hand, would you? Come on. Thank you so much. Those, those guys, uh, wow. Wounds happen. But one of the things that we learn about physical wounds all the time is that 
physical wounds eventually heal, right? Physical wounds will, will eventually be healed, but the one wound that often haunts us all is the wound of a broken heart, emotional wound, emo- emotional pain. And that's what we're talking about today when we're talking about the relationship the relational baggage that we all carry, the wound of a broken heart. Oftentimes, we say things like, time will heal your broken heart, right? Have anybody ever hear that, that time will, time will heal it? But I think if, if we're honest, some of us that are waiting for time to heal our broken heart are still waiting. Because we just say time and time and time will do it. But the fact of the matter is, is that time doesn't heal our broken hearts. So what does? So what does? Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're in that waiting period. I hope that today I can give you some tools, some things that will help you see that it's not time that heals your broken heart, but it's the God that's the author of time that heals your broken heart. Today we're going to look at a Bible story that um, that often gets overread. It often gets overlooked, I should say. Um, it's the story about a man who, um, who has a son that's more popular than he is. It's the story about a man that, that I, to be honest, before I started studying this message this morning, I had read this passage before and I just skipped over it until I started digging into this, this, this concept of relational baggage. And I found this man who had a son that is known as the father of many nations. His son was known as the father of many nations. His son's name was Abram, who is known as Abraham. We're talking about a man whose name is Terah this morning. Terah is Abraham's father. It's found in the book of Genesis chapter 11, verse 25. You can follow along on the screen behind me or... On the YouVersion Bible app, it should be up and running this morning. My wife, like literally, as the, as the music was playing for service to begin, she comes up to me and says, Adam, I couldn't get YouVersion to, to work. I know that you got it up and going, but it's, it's, not, it's not going. Right? I know you did it. I know you put it in. And so I went and checked it. I got out my phone, and boom, it was on my phone. So I don't know what's wrong with her phone, but my phone had YouVersion on it this morning. So... Hopefully your phone has you version on you on your phone. Um, you can get there by following the directions on the screen behind me. Genesis chapter eleven, verse twenty-seven through twenty-eight. It says this. It says this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So Terah had three sons. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Now the Bible does not say much about Haran. But we know because of verse 28 that Haran died. But he probably died prematurely. The reason we know that it was pre, a premature death is because the Bible says that while Terah was still alive, his son, Haran, 
died in the land of Ur. Now, I've performed many funerals throughout my ministry, too many funerals to be exact. Some of those funerals were for, um, for, for elderly folks that lived a long, satisfying life. I remember this particular um, funeral that I did. Like they called me the day before and, and, uh, and, and asked me to perform this funeral. And um, I remember thinking, wow, you know, it's a, it's a day's notice. Are you sure? And they were like, she lived a long, satisfying life. She was a believer in Jesus. She, it, it, it's a slam dunk funeral. So slam dunk funeral means easy money for me. Um, heartless, I know. I'm, I apologize. Terrible, but it was a, it was it was easy, and and those were the funerals that are that are that that's the way it's supposed to be. But then I've done funerals for young adults that were killed in one, one guy was killed in a motorcycle accident, and and, and some have been drug related, and those are hard. And then I've done some for children. I, I did one funeral for a, a young young girl who was 11 years old that died of brain cancer. Her name was Destiny. Tore, like, to this day, tears my heart to pieces if I think about it. I've done a funeral for infants that didn't make it out of the hospital. Death happens. And one of the things that I've learned about death is that no parent should ever have to bury a child. It doesn't matter if the child is 30 years old or if the the child is three years old. No parent should ever have to outlive their children. It's just the way it is. And what this verse tells me is that Karen dies at a young age, younger than he should have, because his dad outlived him. Whatever... It caused Herod's death. We do not know, but we know that this was a painful experience for Terah. So look at verse 31 of Genesis chapter 11. It says, Terah took his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, who was the son of Herod. So we know that Herod was old enough to have a child named Lot. And his daughter-in-law, Sarah, who was married, Sarai, who was married to Abram, the wife of his son, Abram, the, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Wait a minute. Let me read that again. But when they came to Haran, H-A-R-R-A-N, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Something happens in the town of, that Terah's family lives in, known as Ur, that causes them to have to move, and they start moving, and they're going to this target known as Canaan. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Canaan is known as the promised land. Canaan is where Israel is to this very day. Canaan is a very important biblical town. And that's where, that's where Terah and his family are headed, but they don't make it there. They don't get there. Because somewhere in between Ur and Canaan, there's this land 
that's known as Haran, who happens to be the same, what happens to be the same name as the son that had previously died. Think about that. You're moving to this land that you know you're supposed to go to. But for some reason, you get to this town that happens to have the same name as your dead child. And you get stuck. That's exactly what happened to Terah. Somewhere between Ur and Canaan, there's this town known as Haran. And here's what we learn. We learn that the pain in our lives can either paralyze us or motivate us. The pain of our lives can either paralyze us or motivate us. The problem is that so many of us get paralyzed by our pain because we refuse to see the purpose in it. We get paralyzed by our pain because we refuse to see the purpose. When we lived in Illinois, um, I was a youth pastor there for, uh, for 12 years, or for eight years in, in Illinois. And um, while we were at the last church I was at, there was this organization that was right down the road from the church known as One Hope United. One Hope United is basically an orphanage for, uh, for adolescents that are, are wards of the state. They belong to the state of Illinois for whatever reason, maybe because their parents uh, were drug addicts and they couldn't take care of them and they've gotten removed from their home. Maybe it's because they were removed from their parents and then foster care, for whatever reason, didn't, didn't solve their issues. And so foster care is no longer, uh, was no longer an option for them. So they end up at this place known as One Hope United, much like an organization in Maine known as Sweetser. I don't know if you're familiar with Sweetser, but um, very similar. And while I was a youth pastor, uh, we worked very closely with One Hope United because one day what happened was uh, we had students that were coming from One Hope United that were coming into our church and... Uh, they were all writing down the same address on their cards. And I'm going, what is this address? So I showed up one day, just unannounced, just knocked on the door. I was like, what is this organization? There's, there's kids that are coming here from this, this house, coming to our church. And I sat down with, with this, this lady whose name is Melissa Webster, who um, is just a phenomenal, phenomenal lady that gives her heart to... Um, to kids in need, and, uh, and she works at, at One Hope, and, and, and what I didn't realize was that was the beginning of an incredible relationship, because I was willing to walk in and just tell them, I was like, hey, listen, I don't know why I'm here. I'm a youth pastor, and you've got kids coming to our church, and I want to be their pastor. I want to care for them. I want to be here for you. Whatever you need, you let me know. And would you know that Melissa told me that she had never had a church just walk through the doors and say, what do you need? The churches would typically wait for them to come. But I was, I mean, I plead ignorance. I didn't know what the organization was. I didn't, I, like, however, had I known, I still would have shown up. 
because I knew it was what God wanted me to do. It's been kind of the story of my life. Don't always know what's going on, but I always say yes, right, God? And so we show up, and, and, and that's, that struck a, a great relationship between myself and One Hope United, so much so that my wife later on became the nurse for One Hope United. And here's why I tell you about One Hope. Because every time I think about emotional pain and wounded hearts, I cannot talk about it without referring to the kids that have had their hearts torn out of their chest by people that said that they love them. And I've seen it. I've seen kids carrying pain that the adult shouldn't have to carry, let alone the child. And here's what I've learned in stories like Tara and stories like kids from One Hope United. I want to give you three things that I've learned from them this morning. And then I want to give you three things that we can do about it. The first one, number one, the first thing that I've learned about relational pain is relational pain will keep us from our potential. Relational pain will keep us from our potential. You will never get where you're supposed to go without dealing with your relational pain. It doesn't matter if it's caused by an ex-wife, an ex-girlfriend, a child, a former teacher, a, a former coach, an uncle. It doesn't matter who's caused the pain. You won't get where you're supposed to go until you deal with it. And that's, listen, I know what pain people go through. I know some of, the, some of the most rotten, no good things that people have done to other people. And I wish I could tell you that there was another way than dealing with it. But if you want to reach the potential that God has for you, you have to find a way to deal with it. Otherwise, you get stuck and you get paralyzed just like Tara did. In Psalm chapter 73, verse 21 through 22, it says this. It says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. You don't think straight when you're in pain, e emotional pain, relational pain. It's hard to think clearly. And that's what the writer of this psalm is saying. And so we have to find a way to trust the people that we love the most. We have to find a way to trust the people that we love the most. And if they hurt us, we have to find a way to forgive them. And we're going to talk about forgiveness in a moment. I'm going to give you a definition for forgiveness that I believe will help free us all this morning. When the enemy attacks, when Satan attacks our relationships, I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning. When the enemy attacks our relationships, he doesn't do it because he hates your marriage. If he attacks your marriage, he doesn't do it because he hates your marriage. If he attacks your relationship with your kids, he doesn't do it because he hates your kids. He doesn't do it for the sake of the relationship. He does it because he wants to derail you and your purpose that God has for you. That's why... He attacks the relationships of our lives. It's not because of the relationship itself. It's because he will do anything to derail 
the purpose that God has for you. And so that's why people hurt us. He derailed Terah. He was going to the place that God, was, God had told him to go. He was headed to Canaan. He was headed to the place that Abraham eventually goes to. Thank God that, that he gave Terah a son by the name of Abraham that would eventually be able to fulfill what his father wasn't able to fulfill. Dads, I can't help, just for a moment, I can't help but to think that maybe if Satan paralyzes you, you have a son that will carry the torch where you, where you left off. That's what happened for Terah. But I pray, see, I, I pray that my son doesn't have to carry my torch. I pray that I get it as far as, it, as, far as it's supposed to go. I pray that, that I go places that he could only dream of going. And he says, grows up and says, Dad, I just want to be like you. Dads, don't leave a job undone for the responsibility of your children. Don't get paralyzed by the pain of your life. But Satan will do anything to stop you. The, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, this has become one of my life verse, verses. John chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible says that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life, Jesus says. The thief wants to destroy us. He wants to take everything we have and stop us. That's why he attacks our relationships. The second thing that I've learned about relational pain is this. Relational pain pollutes our other relationships. It pollutes our other relationships. So number one, it'll keep you from your potential. Number two, it stops our other relationships or it pollutes our other relationships. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root or bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. How many of you know that some relationships have stopped other relationships and stopped other relationships in your life? Other relationships prevent us from go moving on. And so I want to give you three quick reasons why that happens. Number one, the first thing is because we get defensive when people hurt us. No, we don't. I don't get defensive. What are you talking about, Pastor Adam? I'm not defensive this morning. We get defensive because people have hurt us. And so in our defense, right, <laughs> when we get defensive, then all of a sudden we start to be distant. I'm, 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 I'm going to distance myself from other people because people just, they're, they're people and I don't like them. So we distance ourselves and then, so we get defensive and then we distance ourselves and then eventually we start to demand things from people. What do you mean you want me to do that? You, I don't even know you, bro. Like, seriously. You're so distant from people and yet you're going to demand things from me? Like, whoa. Relational pain causes us. See why the, the, why the author of Psalm says, I don't even think clearly when I'm in pain emotionally. In Genesis chapter 12, what happens with Abraham 
is Abraham eventually leaves his father in Haran. And he goes with his nephew, Lot. So now the pain of facing Haran, the town, has caused Terah to lose not only his son, but his grandson, that is the son of the, of the father that he's in so much pain over. And it costs him the relationships with other people in his life because relational pain will fragment our families if we allow it. Come on, you guys know that. I've talked to some of you. Your families are jacked up because of some relational pain in our lives. My family is jacked up too. That's why I'm here. That's terrible. Mom, Dad, as you listen to this podcast, I promise you, I didn't move to Maine to get away from any (laughs) relational baggage. But we all experience pain. And it causes us to be defensive, distant, and defiant. Number three, the third thing that I've learned from these things in my life is our relational pain can destroy our relationship with God. Our relational pain can destroy our relationship with God. That is why Satan attacks the relationships in your life. Because ultimately, his destruction of you is to destroy your relationship with your creator, to get you where he wants you to be. It's not about you, it's about God. It's about his hatred for God. It's not about his hatred for you. So he wants to destroy your relationship with him. But here's what I've also learned, and that is that our relationship with God and our relationship with, two, with people are inseparable. You can't separate the two. When, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, he gave two responses. The first one is to love God. But the second one is equally equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love other people. The two go together. You can't say that you love God and hate people. It's impossible. When you love God, you all of a sudden start to care about other people. One way to put it is the horizontal determines the vertical. The horizontal will determine the vertical in our life. If you're here this morning and you're wondering why you just can't connect with God, why you can't figure it out, why you can't just, why, why, why don't I love God the way that these other people do? Why don't I have a relationship with him? Maybe it's because you haven't started with a relationship with the people around you. Start loving the people around you, and loving God will come. Check this out. Let me, let me, let me read it to you in the scriptures. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says this. It says, when you are praying, first forgive anyone that you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Sometimes it requires our relationships with other people to be right before we can fully go to God and say, God, forgive me. God knows that we cannot fully appreciate what he offers us in our forgiveness until we learn to share it with other people then we start to appreciate what he offers us. Maybe the purpose of your pain is so that you would appreciate the forgiveness that God gives you from you hurting him. 
One of my favorite places that this shows up in all the scripture is found in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 says this. It says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many of you have ever said, how many of you ever prayed the, pray, the Lord's Prayer? We've all prayed the Lord's Prayer. We live in Catholic land. Like, you've all said the Lord's Prayer if you've been to Catholic church. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. But the problem is we skim over that without even really thinking about what it says. Oh, we know what it means to give us our daily bread, God. Like, we, we ask for our daily bread because we need you. But when it comes to forgiving our debts as we forgive our debtors, like we're asking God to forgive us in the same capacity that we are willing to forgive other people. And later on in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 6, it says, For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's so important if we're going to release, release our relational baggage. Because if we want to experience healing in our lives, we have to, to deal with our relationships with other people. If God is going to do the work, the surgery on a deeply wounded heart, we have to be willing to surrender our relationships with other people and give them over to, to God and allow Him to take care of it. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. The fact of the matter is, is that God can and God will heal your hurting heart if you allow it. In the book of Psalm chapter 147 verse 3, it says this. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is able to heal the broken hearts. If you're here today and your heart is broken, I want you to know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have gone through the pain that you're going through. I'm sorry that your heart is broken. I'm sorry that people have hurt you or that circumstances have hurt you, right? Like, like this, this pain of Tara, it wasn't, it wasn't that his, at least that we know of. We don't, we don't know how Heron died. But we know that the circumstance of his son's death caused the pain that existed in the relationship. Maybe there's a circumstance that's outside of anyone else's control that has hurt your heart. I'm sorry for that. But I fully believe with everything inside of me that God is able to heal your heart if you allow it. But he's not going to force healing on any of us. That's not how he works. Because Jesus died for our sins in order to restore the, the, the ultimate broken relationship that all of us had. You see, when we sin, there is this broken relationship with our creator. When we do wrong, God says, I can't be in the presence of sin and because of that, I can't have a relationship with you. And because our relationship with God is, was broken, Jesus had to die in order to forgive us of our sins so that we could go into the presence of God. And because Jesus died to heal the broken... Re Ooh! I'm about to preach. Because Jesus died 
to heal the ultimate relationship that all of us need, the relationship with our creator, God. Because he died to heal that relationship, he can also heal the relationships here on earth. Because he has gone to the ultimate pain of healing to, in order to heal that relationship. I cannot tell you enough that he can heal these relationships because he died in order to heal the one that we need. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 is our main verse of scripture for this entire series called baggage it says this it says for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds another word for that is to demolish baggage we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot tell you how important it is to captivate your thoughts and submit them to Jesus and say, Jesus, is this the way that I should be thinking? Am I thinking clearly? Captivate your thought. Capture it. Trap it. So that you can submit it to Jesus and you can... Hold it up to this word and see if you're thinking clearly or not. Because what happens when we do not think clearly when it comes to our relationship? <laughs> we think of ways that we can get back at people. Oh, you just wait till I show that person. You just wait till I show them. What? Oh, man, uh, let me tell you. I'm going to get back at that person no matter what it takes. Did you know that our country has a, has a business known as revenge? Have you ever heard of hate mail? How many of you ever received hate mail? I'm about to tell you about some hate mail I just received. I, re no, I didn't just receive. It wasn't recent. It was when we, when we lived in Illinois. We were starting the Refuge Church. Um, and it just happens that when you obey, obey God in your life, some people don't like it. And um, maybe, you know, us leaving caused some pain. I don't, to this day, I don't know who sent uh, this piece of hate mail. But I went out to the, to, the, um, to, the, to the mailbox one day. That's where you receive your mail, right? Your mailbox. Went out to the mailbox. And I found this envelope in the in, in it, and it was it had a stamp, so it gone through the mail. It was kind of a thick envelope, but the handwriting was that of a serial killer. So I realized it wasn't a check written to the church, but it was written out to the refuge church. And um, so I opened the the envelope, and would you know there was this card on the inside that had this contraption inside of it, actually two contraptions. One of the contraptions was rigged so that there would be this god-awful noise that, that started blaring as soon as you opened the card and you weren't supposed to be able to turn it off unless you um, did what I did and got a hammer and broke it. Like, so so that, that was contraption number one. The second one was a glitter bomb that was inside the card 
And, um, and I don't even remember what it said on the outside. I just remember that there was a, this, this god-awful noise and this glitter bomb inside this card and this person that hated what we were doing. To this day, I have no idea who sent the card because, frankly, I don't care. Carl, Pastor Carl Lentz says this. He says, I don't care what people are saying about me. I care who is saying what about me. I don't care what people are saying about me. I care who's saying it is what he says. And uh, because if you know Pastor Carl Lentz, some of you may love him, some of you may hate him. But he doesn't care who's saying what about him, what they're saying about him. He's saying, I care about who it is that's saying it. I guess if you don't have haters, you're doing something wrong, right? So, like, haters are, 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 are okay. Although I believe that the haters that God gives us were for us to love them and not for us to hate them back. And so there's this, there's this business known as revenge in our country. And um, I, all I could think of was I can't believe there's a company that's selling this hideous hard to get back at people. And I'm reminded of the best definition of forgiveness. Get out your pens and write this down. If you're, if you're not taking notes, write this down. My pastor in, in Bo- one of my pastors in Boston, not, not, not Pastor Derek, but a pastor known as, named Sean Sears, I'll never forget a message that he preached about forgiveness. He gave us this definition. Forgiveness is Giving up your right to pay someone else back. Forgiveness is giving up your right to pay someone else back. Because the fact of the matter is, when someone hurts you, you have the right to pay them back. It's, it's, your, it's your right to do that. Forgiveness, we, we used to think that, that forgiveness was forgetting what happened to us. But ladies and gentlemen... God does that. When the Bible talks about forgiving and forgetting, it's talking about the character of God. It's not talking about our our need to do that. Because fact of the matter is, if someone were to ever rape my daughter, I would not forget that. If someone were to ever do something to to my family, I would never forget that. But I might forgive them. And the way that I, the only way that I can explain forgiveness is when you give up the right to pay that person back because you have the right to do so. When I looked at kids from One Hope United in the eye and I told them they had to forgive their parents and some of them had been raped by their parents. Some of them had, had been tortured by their parents. And when I look at them and said that they need to forgive them, the only way, the only way that I could, I could tell them that they could do that is by telling them that you now just have to give up the right that you have to pay that person back. Don't worry about payback anymore. Don't worry about revenge. When you think about forgiveness in those terms, it's a lot easier to get over some pain in our lives. Forgiveness is giving up our right to pay someone else back. And so then the question becomes, how do I overcome this pain? How do I overcome this hurt? I want to give you three quick things and then we're done. Number one, I want you, you have to reveal your hurt. It starts with revealing your hurt. Reveal the pain. Share it with someone. Tell someone the pain that you're in. 
This is why we do things like small groups. So that we can reveal our pain to people. You should have someone in your life that you are able to share the things that you are thinking that you don't want to share with other people. I've learned that since starting the church. Because there are things that I've thought in my past that come back into my life that I've needed to share with someone else. Psalm chapter 32, verse 3 says this. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. And chapter 39, verse 2 says, but when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. Talk to someone about the pain in your life. Find someone. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a friend. And therapists aren't bad either. Because you have to be able to talk. You have to be able to reveal the hurt. The second thing, you have to release the people involved. Release the people involved. Again, this was one of the things that was the hardest thing for me to tell a kid. 13-year-old kid at One Hope United. Because the number one prayer request, anytime that I met with someone at the altar of our church from One Hope United, the number one prayer request from those kids were pray for my mom and my dad. It didn't matter what mom and dad did to hurt them. They still wanted to pray for them. They were holding on to that relationship. And I can't tell you how painful it was for me to tell them, honey, you need to let that parent. The Bible says to honor your father and mother. That was hard. That was hard. And that's a whole nother message that we're not going to get into today. But some of the relationships in our lives, we have to release. The truth of the matter is, when you hold on to something because of what someone else has done, eventually what starts to happen, when you're holding on to that relationship... And, 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 and when you re- refuse to release it, what happens is you start to look like the person that you despise. Eventually, you start to do to other people what that person has done to you if you're holding on to it. Just give it over to God and let him take care of it. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Should I forgive seven times? He says, Jesus says, no, forgive 70 times. Seven, give over, forgive over and over and over again. Because what God is saying is, is that when you discover the ability to give it over to God, he gives you the capacity to forgive other people. Because you realize, holy cow, I have hurt God with my actions, and he has been able to forgive me, therefore I can forgive what other people have done in my life. The third thing, number three, the last thing, is refocus refocus on God's plan for my life. So number one, reveal the hurt. Number two, release the people involved. And number three, refocus God's plan for my life. I can't think of a better story of someone that refocused the plan for their life other than this man by the name of Joseph in the, in the book of Genesis. Joseph was a, man, was, a, was a boy that was sold by his brothers. He was the one that his, his, his dad, Jacob, had given him a, 
a, a, a robe of many colors. And so Joseph gets this robe of many colors. His brothers steal the robe and they throw uh, animal blood on the, on the robe and they take it to their father. They, they trap Joseph and they get this, this, this man to come and to, to buy their, their brother. And he take, they take the coat to their dad, Jacob, and they say, Dad, Jacob is dead. And they did it because Jacob, the Bible says, loved Joseph the most. And it's amazing what God does in Joseph's story. Because God has a way, again, if you give your pain over to God, he has a way to make things happen for you. Because Joseph wasn't paralyzed by his pain. He was motivated by it so much that he worked his way up into the king's court. And one day, the same brothers that had sold him into slavery, the Bible says that there was a famine in the land. And because there was a famine in the land, the brothers have to go to the king and they have to ask the king for the food. And when they go to get the food from the king, They stand before their brother Joseph, only they don't recognize him. They don't have any idea that it's Joseph. You can read this in the book of Genesis. Actually, it's it's Genesis chapter 50. Because what happens is that the brothers are standing before Joseph. And this is what he says in chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. Am I in the place of God? Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now. I can't help but to think of the emotional pain in your life. Maybe someone intended to harm you, but maybe God intended for it to be good. Because he intended for it to get you closer to him. Because the same time that we have an enemy that will do anything to destroy us, we still have a God that will do anything to get to know us. And he wants to know you so much that he will do anything. To capture your love and to capture your attention. And sometimes, sometimes that hurts us. Sometimes that causes us pain in our lives. But it's so that you will recognize how good he is. Sometimes Satan intends to destroy us, but God intends to recreate us. So do me a favor, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In fact, why don't you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet as you, with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I can't help. But to think that maybe today some of you are in pain for the purpose of discovering a God that can heal that pain. 
He will do anything, anything to capture your love. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many of you would say, I, I still don't have a relationship with God because I haven't given him my heart? And is there anyone that says, I, I don't have a relationship with God today? Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, I don't have a relationship with God today. I want you to know those of you that raise your hand, that God has done everything that he can to provide for you a relationship with him. But relationships are two-way streets. And he's not going to force himself on you. You have to give yourself over to him. So I want to ask you to do this. Say, God, I know that I've done wrong. And because I've done wrong, I know that I can't have a relationship with you. But thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. So that now I can have a relationship with you. Come into my life. Forgive me for what I've done. Make me a new person. Help me to live for you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you this. How many of you say, Pastor Adam, I have some relational pain in my life that I need to take care of today. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Adam, that's me. I have pain in my life that I need to get rid of. Thank you. Hands everywhere. I know it. I want to pray for you today that you would find a way to refocus. That you would find a way to maybe even release. So you don't become paralyzed. By the people in your heart and in your life that have hurt you. We have my friends. Brenda and Dave at the stairs with a message like this. I can't help but to think that some of you may need to come and to talk to someone. You may need to to reveal that hurt, right? Brenda and Dave would love for you to reveal any pain that you would want to share with them. Not not to make you uncomfortable, but to free you, right? And they're just going to pray for you. It's going to remain confidential. Maybe you need to come and and, and just receive prayer for that today. If you said that prayer to follow Jesus for the first time, we want to invite you to let us know on the, the form that's on the bottom of your worship guide. Just drop it in the black box on your way out. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that you are a God of healing, that you heal relationships, that you heal cancer, that you heal blindness. Lord, you are a God that heals. And Lord, Lord, because you are a God that heals, you are a God that is worthy. 
Thank you that when Satan has a desire to destroy us, you have a desire to recreate us. Father, I, I pray that you would heal relationships today, Lord, that if there's anyone that needs to go home and pick up a phone and call someone, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to do that. And thank you that we have the technology that they don't have to wait till they get home anymore. They can just get away in their car and they can call someone on their way home. Maybe there's someone in this room that we need to go and we need to hug their neck and we need to, have, need to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Lord, I pray that we would all be willing to do the hard work of relationships. Because, God, relationships are hard work. But we can't do life alone. And one of the ways that Satan destroys all of us is to make us feel like we're alone. And that is why relationships are so important. I believe that's also why he uses relationships to destroy us. Because he wants us to feel like we're alone. Because he wants us to feel like we can't trust anybody. So God, I pray that someone in this room would just hug the necks of other people today. That we would love each other. So that we can love you as a result. God, thank you for what you've done in this place. This is all your work, not mine, not any of us in this room, but it is all your work, and because of that, we give you glory today. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Give God a hand today. Come on.